Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, I'm James McSorley and I am once again joined by new father, Mark Schofield. How are you, Mark? It's all good, man. Although introducing me like that, you did cut short my chance to do my Mendel impression and see how long we could keep that rolling for. Uh, your Mendel impression, which would be insensitive to Americans, not <laughs> Dutch people. Um, what was I going to say, Mark? You have been a father for how many days now? Uh, this is day eleven. She is eleven days old. All right, that makes that the the numbers check out. Um, my question to you is, what is the maximum amount of espressos you have consumed in one twenty four hour period in the last eleven days? Uh, I've been pretty decent, to be honest. I I think my average on a regular day is like three to four. Um, there's been a ton. Of, of times where we've been like awake in the night because I think she's been on like three night feeds and I've been like can Legend. I get, I've been like can I make myself can I go downstairs and make myself an espresso <laughs> like what because Gabby's doing the feeding and I, so like I'll wake her up get her changed um like get her ready to be fed and then I'll like sit with Gabby for moral support but there's mm-hmm. been like various times where I've been like can I go and have a coffee now? But I don't feel like I can do that because I'm not doing it. So if I was able to do it in those periods, I'd probably be on like six to eight a day, I guess. Sure. Uh, my my guess was eight, but I also I forgot that like like if you were doing like bottle feeding at some point and it was like a you thing, you probably would have done it by now. But yeah, I guess you'd be like, man, I'm beat. This stuff's hard, isn't it? Well, Gabby's like feeding me like, hey, come on, man. It's probably not. Yeah. I think the bottle feeding will be coming along at some point soon. So I think the will realistically, I mean, we've got the whole baby's room ready and everything, but she's not old enough to use it yet. So there's a, I've got the like plug points circled where it's like, I might just move my coffee machine up here for the night times if needs be, but we'll, we'll figure that out as we come to it. Anyway, thank you for holding it down in my absence. Thank no you problem. to Mandel for jumping in. Um, and yeah, it, the bench unit ship has sailed smoothly. Which yeah, is all- I, I got. Um, there's one more episode to come out this Thursday that you won't be on. Um, but yeah, you're back, and thank God because I've got a couple of messages to the group over the last while being like, "Why is this different slash worse?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, because Mark's not doing it." <laughs> like I literally like I posted that Binjo got the belt last week, but I didn't like do like this many points in this many games. Blah 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 yeah, blah blah. Because I was like, ah. Eh. Four games of stats. I don't really want to look that up. And Mendel replied. He was like, "Why does this look different?" And I was like, "Because I'm bad at it." <laughs> but yeah, so thank God you're here. But anyway, should we talk about some games? Let's do it. All right. So first game up is uh, Vigo fifty, Elunion seventy nine. So how much of this were you able to watch? Yeah. So I caught this yesterday. Um, I. Th- watch this this was the early start one wasn't it um so i think yeah well i'll send them you think um so yeah i was kind of co-watching um we had baby visitors at the time so i was being super antisocial and um was just like yeah i'll be here um but yeah this was kind of as expected i think i didn't clock until about third quarter and i was like it feels like agustin alejos hasn't taken a shot this entire game and ilunion held him if you look at the stats, they held him to nine shot attempts in ten, in 40 minutes. And it's like, yeah, that's like he had 10 free throws. So that mitigates some of it. But we've kind of talked about how he needs to get 20 to 25 shots up. And 
when you can feel in the game that he's not getting enough up. That generally is not a great sign. Um, exactly, yeah. But, I think but a lot of that's good job, Alunion. A lot of that is Alunion are massive. I think one of the things I saw from this is like, and this kind of clarified for it for me that that might be the case. Like a lot of the trouble that Vigo gave some of the teams that they have given trouble to so far this year, it's because they're like pretty big across the board. Obviously, they play, um, they play four, well, three big, a mid, and a female one pointer. So obviously, you've got you're gonna have some some size on the floor, but like. Then they come up against an Alunion who are able to go Bill, Terry, and Hasso in their starters. And you could see like some of the stuff that maybe worked for them against us and some other teams kind of wasn't happening. Like there was a it felt like there was a whole heap of turnovers in the first quarter, but yeah, I think um the Alunion size thing is like Vigo's general go-to move late in the shot clock is is there a guard on the other team? If so, they're probably around the elbow or free throw line. And Agustin can get a mismatch off before help can get there generally. But Ilunion, if it's one guard surrounded by four bigs, they can send help. I actually think Vigo's role players between Julio Vilas, uh, Bassi Kolba, and Jason Burton Court, they had like 14, 10, 12 respectively. Um, I think if you'd have shown me that and not shown me what Agustin was going to get, I would have been like, oh, Vigo might, like this might be a single digit affair here. If you. Yeah. And pencil him in for 25 points but yeah obviously you take you take the first link out of the chain and that becomes a whole lot more difficult and Ilunion just kind of flex the depth here that you know Vigo couldn't dream of having yeah I, th- I think yeah I, I agree with you there I had a point and it completely just left my head because I'm trying to find oh there you go I was trying to find turnovers and Point, uh, points off turnovers 14 points off turnovers doesn't feel like that feels a little lower than I thought it would be but also I don't know I've, I've watched seven games today <laughs> I don't know my brain is complete mush at this point but yeah no I don't know I think when you're a lot of the way you generate offense is like you run something with the aim of getting a mismatch on the elbow and you've got three pretty big four four and a half so you've got greg who is a two but the way he like gets his hand on some passes and some post-ups and stuff you're like he's not he's not your typical two obviously with core strength and the ability to like tilt and reach the way he does but yeah that's it's it's a tough look to ask someone to get a load of mismatches off there yeah and i think the on the flip side of it the the difference for lunion was i think Yes, on Betancourt of Vigo is a good prospect. He's a huge guy, but you really see his lack of polish when he goes up against a guy like Bill Latham, who it felt like Bill could have fairly happily just taken him one-on-one on most of the possessions, just from a perspective of obviously matching his size, but like chair skills and kind of being crafty. Um, And Bill was 11 from 17, had 23 points. 23, 14, and 7. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, man. I thought Bill Bill was really the difference, but that I feel like Bill is generally the, the biggest beneficiary of when Illunion are a, a talent advantage. It tends to be like Bill and Amadou who rack the stats up the most. Yeah. Um, and as you say, like the depth thing, like apart from um, 
Well, everyone got double figures minutes in the end because this turned into a bit of a blowout. But yeah, not a whole lot to go on, really. Yeah. It was one of those like anytime I see a game that's an 80, like a 80, 50 <laughs> before I stick it on, I'm like, oh, I hope this is 10 or 15 in the first quarter. So I don't need to like <laughs> trawl through the third quarter being like, right, when did the swing happen? But yeah. yeah. Uh, they won every quarter, so... That's absolutely it. I think the only thing I'd bring up from Illuni on side is I would have hoped, with a relative talent advantage, I still don't think the Tom-Amadou lineup has quite clicked. Um, no. Tom had seven points, Amadou had six. We've seen Amadou have big games against weaker teams already, but I think right now you can pretty heavily lean on Greg and Bill as the 2-4 combo is just more effective than Tom and Amadou, and I feel like they're going to get the tougher games and need both. Um, obviously, you can't judge too much from this game because you can't be like, hey guys, why isn't this unit firing on all cylinders when it's like, yeah, because we were 10 points up. From yeah, them. because it didn't have to. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's just something to keep an eye on with Lunion at this point, I think. There's been enough games now that you would hope that unit had found its feet a little bit more, but there's there's still plenty of time. Yeah, of course. I think there's a weird thing of like you go to two threes instead of a four and a two if either the four hasn't got the chair skills or the two's letting you down size wise. But when it's Bill and Greg, yeah. ah, you're kind of it's an it's 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 a good choice to have to make, and I'm sure there will be games. We'll be talking about a game in two three weeks time that. Um, the Tom and Amadou lineup really made a difference when it mattered. And, you know, that's what happens when you've got 10 or 12 really good players on your team. But no, I'm with you. Um, yeah, just hasn't got going yet, really. Amadou's had a couple of good games. Tom hasn't got going yet, but Tom's a world-class three-pointer who will get going at some point. Like, I, w- I would still stick some money on it being fine overall. Yes, I would say so. Like, just looking at their advanced stats, like, yeah, they're good. <laughs> they're, they're fine. <laughs> Speaking of teams that are good or fine, shall we move on to your game? Uh, yes, uh, I'm a good team and a fine team. No, um, I was going to say, did you see much of this one or did it all just kind of happen in a blur? Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell everyone what I told you yesterday. So um, this is Amiabi 83, Bilbao 65. Man, they're good. Um, they're massive and they're super quick and they can score like hell and they can really, really put it on you defensively. And Filipski had 38. <laughs> and the thing that I said to you, which I don't know whether it says more about them or me, but I was sitting on the bench like mid fourth quarter when we made subs because of Manu falling out, I think it was. And I was like, they're they're beating us up here. They're going to get 80 something. And I couldn't tell you who's killing us for some <laughs> reason, because I think it's like, I don't know. You play Fifi, you play against Fifi for Burgos. And it's like, okay, I'm aware that Philipski has 38 because they have 47 points. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Whereas you're kind of, you can't put all your resources into being like, right, this is the only thing going on. Like, I don't know, stopping, trying to stop everything on the three-point line when you've got such brilliant sort of size going to the basket as well is a really, really tough ask. But, like, I'm even looking at this, like, Fifi didn't even do his damage from the three-point line. Three from eight is 
fine. That's just what he does. 37% on threes, but 12 from 16 from two. Yeah, I think this game was, of all of Alicetti's games so far, this has been when we've seen Filipski benefit the most from Phil's presence, I feel like. Yeah, 100%. You guys played pretty solid... Uh, like zone defense, and there was a, like if you reference that Burgos team, that would have been a lot of him breaking the defense down from like step one, ball in hand, breaking the high line down to the edge of the key, this and that. Then like having to make something happen with seven seconds left. But I think the combination of Phil being able to take care of the ball while the bigs establish and then just hit Filipski in his sweet spots was kind of the secret sauce for Albacete here. Um, yeah, yeah. For I mean, Filipski was just like. I, I genuinely couldn't believe it when I got the stats off this game and saw that he'd missed nine shots. I was like, I must have been out of the room for at least like six of them. Um, yeah. But it's just, they're so, because they've got so much everywhere. Like you've got, I know the really, really good teams don't have to make a choice between jumping scorers and protecting the basket. And that's the point that good teams are trying to get to. But it's like in the back of your head, even if Filipski, who is one of the greatest scorers of the history of the game we're talking about, like, even if he catches the ball behind a screen, if that screen is Alejandro Zarzuela or Lee Manning, you're still a bit like, oh, man. And it's the physical thing of there's an extra six inches of chair to get around and also the mental thing of, like, but if I jump, that's a layup. But no, it's, he's 12 from 16. That's a layup from 15 feet for that guy anyway. Uh, I think it's... um. It's a little bit interesting. You look at the stat sheet and it's only Lee who scraped double figures as well as Filipski. Um, Lee had 11. And everyone else was kind of 8-6 kind of territory. But on... the problem is everyone else was 8-6 yeah, territory. Well, the shooting isn't that efficient, really. It's just when you've got one guy who's shoot getting 38 on 62 overall, you just... <laughs> this is a super reductive point to make, but when you've got one guy who's putting up 38 points on 60 plus percent shooting, you just don't need that much from everyone else. <laughs> it's, it's such a ridiculous thing to have to point out. But yeah, yeah I feel really stupid sitting laughing about this. Like, I, there's something that it plays on my mind, like coming on and talking about these things, like after I lose. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I have to be able to do that. Well, yeah, we I mean, win or lose, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, unbelievable like but we had that conversation i had the conversation with one of my teammates yesterday after the game about the fact that fifi kind of went nuts and alejandro had six um phil only had eight only took 10 shots um lee had what 11 5 from 12 yeah um and you know you come away you'd look at that and you'd go hey could we do more to stop fifi and yeah but then like if you move resources towards that obviously like lee doesn't still have 11 phils doesn't still have eight alejandro still doesn't have six you know what i mean like yeah, be like whack-a- already... whack-a-mole in that sense and just unless i mean realistically you're playing amiab their first lineup you're like oh we could just make charlie moore shoot it every single time but she not... takes one a game and makes it makes <laughs> one again, and also she is never more than one position away from somebody that if she gets helped off of she can just curl to the basket <laughs> it's like yeah you yeah. you can't force it it's not like she's abdi and she's just hanging out you know extended baseline somewhere she's you know the space you give her 
is incredibly easy to use, which yeah, I think she's. I said this to her yesterday. I was like, if she she obviously knows this, like she doesn't need anyone to tell her that. But if she keeps like doing what she's doing and hitting that shot, they're not going to lose many games this year. Um, I think having not seen a whole lot of Yitzka um, this year, I think for my money at the minute, Charlie's the best female one playing in the leagues in Europe at the yeah, minute, the yeah. way she's performing. She's got a hell of a team around her as well, but I think for what they're asking her to do, which is like partly usual one-pointer flying around, getting people open, getting people lay up stuff, but it's also like there's a bit more sort of fine skill to it and a few more sort of free-throw line pull-ups, like yeah, 100%. really, really effective. Yeah, I think um, the other side of the game was we talked about kind of I mean, I've sized in an offensive sense, but I think their size really took Asier out of it as your main guy. When, Whenever you had to create 5v5 versus them, it felt like it ended up with either Papi or Chema for a bailout on most of the possessions. Um, the, I mean, Asier is like a historically great um, creator in a numerical advantage, but it just felt like I mean, I recover numerical advantages so well that there wasn't those opportunities consistently. Um, yes. I, I don't know how it felt from in the game. Um, God, well, I was only in for 15 odd minutes, but pretty crazy. But I think that's the thing as well. Like, when I think about five on four, is the way I think, like, people talk about like a window of opportunity. Like, if we extend the window analogy, like, those windows get smaller. They get bigger when you're five on four because there is more space between the players that are trying to stop you scoring, obviously. But it also follows that if you've got five on four, but three of those four players are like the biggest yeah. player in the universe, a big four, <laughs> and the two biggest threes in the world, probably. Yeah. Like, you know, those, those, those little windows for getting shots off when they don't jump you or... Like, you know, they don't have to extend all the way out to the three-point line to make you sort of feel uncomfortable when you're shooting the ball. They don't need to be, like, right in the way of a passing lane because they're massive. You know, just the sort of the little gaps that you have to try and get passes through or shoot through or whatever are just way smaller because they're gigantic. And as you said as well, like, then it's five on five again in three seconds instead of six seconds which is probably what you might get against some other team in man-out situations. The other thing is they rotated a bit and they at one point ran the lineup that's like Harry, Ben, Oscar. <laughs> just, what, just what you needed to see for a bit of respite. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing where it's like offensively, I mean, on our defensive end, it kind of gives you a little bit of a break from certain things like Fifi was off the floor for a little bit um, when I was on the floor, which felt nice, but <laughs> like I was looking at my plus minus, being like, "Oh yeah, what?" That's about when Fifi sat. But oh, yeah. shout out to you, only positive plus minus on Bill Bell. That's it's not how that. <laughs> yeah, if only that translated to <laughs> something. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's one point where they went like halfway line, flat high line with like Harry, Oscar, Ben, someone, and someone. You'll have to forgive me. I don't remember who the other two were. I was too busy being like, "What is happening?" Um. But yeah, we had a timeout at one point and the conversation was like, why can't we, like if they're defending so high, like where the conversation was like, where are the advantages to be gained? And I was like, nah, I think one for one, they're like quicker than everyone we have on the floor. So maybe we're going to 
have some trouble breaking it down, but that's just me. But yeah, they are very good. And I don't <laughs> know, I haven't played against Landil or Turingen or, well, no, I have played against Lunion. I, I think Amiab are probably the team that I think might win everything this year. But, you know. Amiab are head and shoulders above Lunion at the moment. I don't think there's much dispute of that. Um, no, yeah, they've I played think, each other twice. Like, <laughs> I think the German teams will still have a, like, the these two, sorry, these three teams are probably grouped close enough that any 40-minute window can go in any direction. But Yeah, that's true. The body of evidence of their seasons is probably not going to distinguish the three of them from each other a whole lot, I don't think. No. Cool. All right. Yes, Amiab, very good. Us, yeah, I think we're grand. I think they are good enough that they made yeah. us look pretty bad, but I, I think that says a lot think, about them. I also think you got them on probably their most consistent and best game so far. Yeah, like, they brought it. Fair play. Um, yeah, they looked really good because they are. Um, sweet. <laughs> Um, all right, next one. Shift on surprise result of the weekend. This was, Med- so? yeah, Madiba 68, Malaga 58. Yeah, I this one I kind of flicked on court, I think, from late second quarter onwards. Here, oh, uh, well, you didn't see the one quarter that Malaga won. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, I went back and watched the first quarter, and it was six nil to Malaga at one point. So from that point, they were kind of outscored by 16 across like 34 minutes, I guess. Um, sure. But yeah, this was... I mean, I, I've kind of sowed my doubts about Malaga as we've done these previous episodes, and this certainly didn't do anything to quiet any of them. Um, these teams aren't dissimilar in terms of play style, I don't think. Their lineups are slightly differently constructed, but I think they're both pretty like rough and tumble, get to the basket, figure out the rest as we go. And Madiba, with the addition of Jose Leap, who had his best game since joining them, he had 23 on 7 of 16 shooting and 5 of 7 threes. Um, <laughs> I think he, he was definitely the X factor in this game because he really pulled Malaga's defense up above the three-point line in a way that kind of left them vulnerable to John Hernandez particularly. Um, If you'd have told me, you know, early season when Madiba had been struggling to crack 40 points and you said they're going to beat Malaga at some point when I think we all had Malaga penciled in for like fourth best in the Spanish league, I would have been like, did Madiba sign Patrick Anderson here? (laughs) What's going on? Um... Um, but yeah, this was this was a weird one, man. I there was a twenty-seven nineteen second quarter to Mediva, and that was like obviously eight of the ten points of total difference. But this one should have been Malaga's, man. Just on, you know, talent and consistency across the squad. Uh, Pete Kuzak was missing, which we should point out. But Kozarinja, yes. who's been probably their most consistent offensive player, was four from sixteen, and that really hurt when Madiba are able to subsist on mismatches and your best mismatch shooter can't keep pace with that. And get going. Yeah, here's a question about Cazarina. He was four from 16 and I feel like it, it to me it felt like he hit his first four. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe like two from this first, maybe like four from his first six or whatever like, but in my head I was like start of the game, I didn't know the result when I put it on. I was like, oh, Cazarina game? Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Um, but yeah, obviously, I think what you said there about leap 
getting going, kind of giving John enough to kind of get off is is right. Because I remember I was looking at this going, okay, but like someone needs to get going. And normally you would think, okay, John needs to get going for himself. But like Jose Lee going off from three, giving John enough to do what he does. Like he's so deadly sort of like cutting and posting up and getting to the basket that when you get to that point, it's like, yeah, like he doesn't need, he's not the sort of guy you, you don't need to throw him the ball behind the screen six times to like get his hands warm or anything. It's just <laughs> like someone else to feed him the ball and give him the space to actually cut because of that, like before then you can kind of just like camp out and stay in his way, but he's so yeah. deadly. And if you look at his shot chart, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of like elbow post up type stuff. And man, he's so good from there, but Leap just, I still don't know how he does it. Like, I, he's he sits so low, and his shot is kind of like double pump, unconventional. But like, I've seen so many, like, five from seven, eight from 11, three point games, like, yeah, completely nuts. I think the saying low thing is he, you almost like it sounds ridiculous, but to contest his shot, you have to have your hands off your wheels so early because you have to be like, like if someone releases high you can get your arm up there. If he's like gathering low and releasing low, you almost have to get over the top. And like, I think he got Jaime Esparza where he faked it and literally just ducked his arm and went underneath. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. He, he's unconventional to the point where I think defenders doubt themselves and that he leverages that pretty well. Yeah. Uh, he's great. Like, and he's so shifty. I don't know if you ever, you ever played against him. No, never. He's so shifty that you're just like, at any given point, you're like, if I show him a millimeter of my footplate, he will be going to the line for three free throws. Like I've told you, I think I've told you this story before, but like end of a half when I played for Grand Canaria against him when he was playing in Zuzanak, they called a timeout, advanced the ball and ran a play. <laughs> and we were like, okay, someone needs to jump him, get on his footplate, but do not file him. And coach was like, all right, James, you got it. And he was like, don't file him now. And I was like, I won't. <laughs> I'm aware. And he was like, be careful. He does all of it. And I was like, yeah, I know. He does his like shifty, spinny stuff and we'll find my footplate. And he like just find it anyway. I went to the line. <laughs> like, and this was me being like, yes, I am well aware of what he is trying to do. Don't, but don't he's worry. just. I say, don't worry, coach. I've read the scouting report. <laughs> the only problem is he's read the scouting report on how to attack people who've read the scouting report on him. Yeah, it's like it's like the wheelchair basketball equivalent of someone being like, if I jab step enough, if I jab step enough, you will step this way, and then I can just go through an arm and get to the free throw line. Like it's it's masterful, but yeah, he's he's the man, and he's like so consistent from three and free throws as well that like he can go two from nine from two, and end up like. <laughs> 23 points on 16 shots yeah. which is just nuts but yeah anyway um yeah disappointing for malaga obviously they've yeah. still just not quite figured it out because they've got a lot of uh, pretty I, good players I, that don't really fit perfectly yeah i think this game to me was a little bit of a sign of malaga like i think they've tried some different stuff and it's been early in the year so they're well within their rights to do that but i think this game to me was a little bit of them being like, okay, like we've tried things. We're just going to have to go with what works now. I mean, they eventually benched Kozarunia for Kyle to close the game out and went under points to do that. And like, I think Kyle is obviously a very 
amenable guy. He wouldn't have kicked off about coming off the bench, you know, if that was what was best for the team. But I think if they're consistently losing these games where he's playing 20-ish minutes, you're not going to sit him on the bench for, like, if what you're doing isn't working, you can't justify having one of the best two in, twos in the world sitting out half the game. So if that comes at playing under points, then so be it. Yeah. They may be reaching that point now. Yeah, I think so. And like, that's obviously the sort of thing that they've had to contend with all year. Like, do we go under points or, you know, do we go on points or do we like under points or leave certain players on the bench that we really have brought here to probably play 40 minutes? But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough and it's not, it's not an easy, I don't think it's an easy job, but you know, it's, it's one that people are in position to try and figure out. So. I thought as well, had Pete been available for this game, I thought the um, lineup with the Kyle, a couple of the mids, Esparza and um, Almu would have maybe been one to go to in this game. Yeah. you got to have the tools to make that happen. Correct. Yeah. Don't know what the deal is with Pete, but hope he's all right. Cool. All right. Next one. Yeah, let's do it. Next one, Mercia 71, um, Leganes at 45. So this one shocked me. I don't know about you. Really? Yeah, I mean, Leganes, they've kind of got a couple of games in a row now where it's been like, okay, like they beat Malaga and they beat Gran Canaria. Are Mercia markedly better than those two teams? Maybe it's becoming clearer that they are, but I think this matchup really played into Mercia's hands in terms of... That's what I thought. Like, I think that's why I wasn't shocked. I was like, yeah, they'll just run and gun against the old fellas. Yeah, and that's essentially what it was. But yeah, man, there was, it became fairly obvious when um, Leganes only had six points in the opening 10 minutes. It was like, yeah, these guys are are in for a long game. But um, yeah, man, this was, this, we've talked about it with Mercia where they either effectively need to match styles or be able to push their agenda on a team very badly suited to it. And this was the latter of those two cases to probably as extreme of an extent as we might see all year. Yeah, 100%. Like, if you look at um, 20 points off turnovers, um, Leganes with 21 turnovers, like, that screams, like, unable to handle the pressure to me. But, yeah, I kind of... Yeah, they they didn't really have even in their starters that doesn't press like they still kind of gave them issues but and that's without playing amazingly or shooting brilliantly like they shot under fifty percent and blew someone out like but I know if you take sixty eight shots against another team that takes fifty yeah yeah you have a pretty good chance of doing all right there but yeah um. Yeah, I mean, on the Leganes side, Alexi Ruiz with 18 points, but nobody else topped six. Um, and yeah, man, like, Cano is... Cano and Philip Halfley are probably Leganes' two most mobile guys, but if they would, you know, if you were to rank them against the players on Mercia, they they might come in, like, fifth and sixth. <laughs> yeah. Overall. Um, and I think the telltale stat from the game is, like, BL Cabo with 11 points on um like five of nine shots because he you know if he used to have his pick of what kind of baskets he wants you know he's a very very capable transition player but like he doesn't take a huge amount of shots in the half court so if he's getting towards double figure shot attempts it's probably because he's cherry picking the ones he fancies exactly i've only 
I've only ever, and I've played with him last year, I've only ever seen him take like breakaway layups and like sort of 12 footers behind a screen when someone makes him do it. But yeah, him taking 11 shots, man. He, yeah, shot a three as well. Like, yeah, feeling that, it by the end. Well, I think he, he took that one because he was like, hey, if I miss this one, it's not exactly going to ignite the comeback. But yeah, yeah, man, Mercier, I thought, would just, they were, were really efficient in a way that they haven't really been that much this year. I think their offense has felt like a bit of a slog when the game gets slow, but it felt like the game didn't get slow at any point in this one. They just kind of kept it at their tempo for the entire thing. Yeah, the thing against a team that plays that quickly is like, hey, if we can get back all five of us on defense and turn this into a bit of a rock fight, but like you literally can't at some point <laughs> physically. Like you don't have the horses to actually get there. No. Um, so yeah, this was I I mean this doesn't really dampen my opinion of Leganes, who I've been relatively high on all year. Like this is as bad of a matchup as they're gonna get outside of like Illunion and Albacete, I think. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But yeah, man, like Mercia continuing to prove themselves and they've knocked off a team who, you know, it wouldn't have shocked me if Leganes had pulled off another upset here because they've proved themselves very capable of, you know, hanging with some of the mid-tier teams, but Mercy yeah, exactly. Took- it's cool, cool for Mercy to be able to be able to actually do that because the way that we would have been coming here and talking about this on a Sunday afternoon, and the conversation being about Mercia losing would be Leganes managed to turn this into their sort of pace, but Malaga actually being able to put that on a team is a good sign. But yeah, yeah. all right, shall we move on? Do it. All right, next game, Gran Canaria 59, uh, Ferrol 53. I think obviously the big thing about this one, we want to start by sort of sending our love in the direction of Richard Norche, mm-hmm. um, friend of the podcast, actual friend. Um, he, uh, most of the wheelchair basketball world know at this point, he was in a motorbike accident a couple of days ago. Um, I've spoken to him since he's kind of come out with bumps and bruises and I don't know what the long-term sort of damage will be on bits and pieces, but like he's safe and healthy and doing all right. Thank God. Cause that was pretty mad, but yeah. So I doubt we'll be seeing him playing basketball for a while, but also if you told me that he jacked himself at a hospital and went to training tomorrow, I'd probably believe you. So <laughs> yeah, Richie doesn't listen to this. Cause even though he's been on the podcast, he probably doesn't know what a podcast is. But yeah, absolutely. He's like, why are these microphones here? Yeah, absolutely. He was like, I'm just telling stories. Thanks for the beer, guys. But yeah, (laughs) absolute legend, absolute rock star. And yeah, get well soon. All the best, Richie. Um, In the meantime, Grand Canary able to pull this one out without his services, which is no small feat against not the most talented team in the world. But exactly. Yeah, you could be forgiven for having a weird week after that happens to someone in your team and kind of not coming fully ready on a Saturday, but they managed to get it done. Obviously, Ramone with 25, Salazar with 19 in a game that only goes to the mid-50s. That takes you a lot of the way there, but... Yeah, definitely, man. Um, This was kind of... I think Farrell were fine offensively. They got... um. 19 from Carol Schultz, um, 13 from Lorenzo Rainbow, and they got 21 from Pedro Path, but 
Yeah, man, this was kind of a... We see this with Gran Canaria against a couple of the weaker teams where it's like, oh, there isn't one matchup anywhere for Alexi Ramene and he will probably just come halfway off a pick and burn people for a layup before they've even really started to clock what the defense might need to be. Yeah, he's so good at that. Like, he's one of the best guys in the world that, like, just that very specific thing of, like, getting all the way to the basket without a pick even really being set properly. Like, someone coming up to meet a pick and him just being like, oh, yep, half a, half an inch. Okay, going to the basket. Yeah, yeah. He's so quick. It's very um, prime Rajon Rondo where they're like, okay, just back off him. And it's like, oh, well, if you back off him, he gets three pushes in and then you've not even like touched your wheels by the time he's blown by you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they got 25 from him and they're not a small team, but Salazar makes a living being like, the biggest guy on Gran Canaria and going up against bigger guys than him and coming away well. So this was kind of a, an important game to get from Salazar. And they got nine from Luigi as well, which kind of took them over the hump here. Um, Luigi and Raul with nine and four off the bench was, mm-hmm. you know, that's 13 points is a big swing off your bench when the other team gets zero bench points. Actually, yeah. Farrell got zero points outside of the three players we listed. So it's pretty impressive in itself that those three guys can carry you to almost an upset win, but ridiculous. Grand Canary had just enough in this one. Yeah. It's pretty pretty much all there is to this. I think this yep. one is par for the course, really. Not a whole lot else there. So we move on. Speaking of par for the course. This was a weird one. Yeah. Um uh. This was a little bit, this was Violet 58 and Juventus 43. Um, based on what we've seen from Violet recently, I would have expected them to really pour it on these guys because they have been scoring pretty well, pretty consistently against good teams. Yeah, I don't. just didn't get going at all. Like if it wasn't for Adrian Barriers going seven from 10, God, they would have shot 30 something percent. Yeah, uh, this struck me as a little bit of a show-up-and-win-it kind of game, um, which I I think is... I don't know if that's... I would maybe excuse a more established team for that. If you told me that Illunion just rocked up and did the bare minimum, I'd have been like, yeah, that's kind of what they do. But I think Vidalid are still a gelling group. You can't really afford to take too many games with minimum effort. But yeah, I mean, they, they took care of business, man. So... All, all as well but um yeah not the most convincing of performances i must admit um i don't know if i've not got a huge number of observations from this game other than vital it felt like they were doing the nba title contender thing where you kind of hang for three and a bit quarters and you're like okay what's the score all right yeah let's let's close this one out yeah i i kind of when i saw that this game was so low scoring but by the lead still one i was like i kind of don't even want to watch this i did but i was like this is going to be a oh god show up and get it done yeah. go back home <laughs> like yeah. this was a they didn't really show up but yeah just yeah. did enough to get it done um yeah man not a whole lot to it and also like part of it is like you play so slowly that you're never gonna like i don't know like it meh very little to say about this yeah, come on, come on Vitalid, give us more. No, I mean, give us more to talk about. I don't, you don't need to give us any more than beating a team by 15. Like, that still counts, <laughs> but um, yeah, this was just it. And I think we're probably getting to the point in the season where this is going to happen a little bit more. Um, 
I think the opening weeks of the season, everybody's very much like best foot forward at all times, but I think we're probably settling into the point now where there'll be some some lazy wins, as you could call them. Yeah, I guess the other thing as well is like, I don't know, week off, maybe. <laughs> maybe they were, that too, they were chilling. And I think they got some of their guys were bouncing about to various um like tournaments and national camps and stuff. So maybe it was a a kind of getting back to it and gelling kind of thing. But either way, like crisis averted, it would have been really bad if they'd have slipped up in this game. But I also, even though it was a fifteen point win and that took Vidalid winning the last quarter by four, it didn't really feel like Joventut were gonna steal this one the way like the Gran Canaria game that Juventus stole, you could kind of feel it was coming the entire time. Um, yeah. But this this one kind of felt like it was arm's length for the majority of it. Cool. I agree. All right. Um, so two games in Germany this week. One was yesterday. One is happening currently. So it'll be fun to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, the second game of the weekend is currently eight minutes to go in the fourth. So I don't want to talk about this first game for eight minutes. <laughs> but... Uh, well- We'll just read the uh, play-by-play out off the stats as it happens. The last bit of the podcast will drag like you wouldn't believe. Oh, God. Right. So, but this first got, this first one was interesting. Landil 68, um, uh, BBC Munsterland 64. So, I don't know if you remember, but when um, Munsterland beat Cologne in week one or two of the German season, I texted you and said, that Munsterland are one hot Zoran Muller game away from beating Landil, and you laughed at me, and how almost right I was. <laughs> okay, so a few things that I will say about that. Uh, I don't know if 15 points on 7 from 17 from the best player in the universe uh, is a really hot game. Oh no, that's my point. Imagine if he had been hot, they would have smoked him. Yeah, and I think the other point is like Landil were missing everyone apparently. So, uh, yeah, I'd heard throughout the week from just talking to different guys that there was a couple of them that weren't well, a couple who haven't been well, and even someone who like some are some who have played through not being well. So, yeah, this was like this was a potentially trap game, but they managed to get it done in the end. Um. I mean, I think it, this was kind of so the open the score after the first quarter was fourteen eight for Munsterland, and there was I think at that point, like I say, Landil are a little bit shorthanded. Tommy Bomb is still out, um, and then the following quarter was twenty eight twelve in Landil's favor, and it's like, yeah, okay, this is a very talented team being like, hey guys, let's not fall behind and give ourselves a load more work to do. Like, let's get this one back in control early doors. And that's kind of what they did. But yeah, man, I, I think Munsterland very much sensed the opportunity they were given here and they very much did what they could to steal this one. And they came pretty damn close. So Yeah, man, it was literally Yannick hits a pull up from the free throw line to get them to 66, um, 64. Um, Munsterland had... And also, can I just say, like your last play of the game, going to a low pointer on low pointer post up is great. Okay. Um, unlucky to see it roll out, obviously, but uh, throwing the ball to Ilsarts and a post up against Yannick, last play of the game. I respect the hell out of it. And they never I was watching it. I was watching it live, 
after our game with a beer in my hand and I was like losing my mind. I was going to scream if that went in to bring it to overtime. But Kind of the perfect last play because they never would have expected it in a million years. Can you imagine? I also don't know how much of that was on the whiteboard, but anyway. I don't. But we've already seen Munsland win a game with a low pointer um, plucking an offensive rebound and a putback. So maybe they're just like, hey, these guys get it done in the like closing seconds of the game. Yeah, low pointers are clutch. Um, but yeah, so that rolls out. Guys get the rebound, file, makes both free throws. Yeah. Home time. Take care of business. I think we should probably put this is the first time we've seen this lineup get a heavy minutes, but this Munsterland lineup with Ilsa Arts, obviously 1.5 female player, plays as a zero. Um, this lineup of Munsterland is not to be messed with. They got Matthias Bella, Zoran Muller, Ilsa Arts. And then Julian and Maximilian Lammering, who I assume are brothers or have the same. Yes. Sister. And are a, that's actually quite a good sibling uh, bragging right when you're half a point less than your brother or more than your brother, depending on which one you think is advantageous. Um, yes. So they are, yeah, they're brothers. I think they both were German under 23 players over the summer, which is cool. Um, I've heard, heard good things about both of them. Yeah, and they're the G- German answer to the Zazuela twins. Um, but yeah, I think this was obviously Munsterland. You're rolling this lineup out against even without Tommy, one of the most talented teams anywhere in the world. But yeah, this lineup's not to be messed with, man. And you know, Matthias is a huge guy and was kind of he went blow for blow with Matthias Guntner on the other side. Um, it was just shooting outside shooting that carried Landil through stretches. Of this, I think, between. Rio hitting a couple of post-ups, Yannick hit a couple of pull-ups, and then like Gaz and Rose with 10 each. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, it felt like Landil had the better options in terms of fallback shot opportunities that compared to what Munsterland got. Yeah, also I think it's worth mentioning that Soren Muller, the greatest player in the universe, also filed out with about a minute and 40 to go in a close game, which... Could have changed everything. Can you imagine... have swung it, but Can you maybe imagine... not. Come on here to talk about a Munsterland upset over Landil. That would have been great. Um, but yeah, no, like Landil being able to pull this out in these circumstances is very, very important and quite impressive. But even missing guys being able to be like um, Simon Brown, okay, um, Rose Hollerman, uh, <laughs> like. Looking down your bench, being like, "All right, we will, we will go with a four and a one instead of a three and a two, like, and it being Gaz and Yannick instead of Quinton and Rose, like, stuff like that." You're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you've, you've probably, you've, you've got some answers." Yeah, I, I always imagine if there was to be like a coaches meetup, and they were like telling stories about the season, and the, and um, Janet Zelting was like, "Yeah, we just had this really tough game against Munsterland where you know." Tommy was out and we had to decide whether we wanted to play Gaz and Yannick or Quentin and Rose. Like most of the other coaches in Germany would be like, yeah, this is a real, um, this is a first world problem right here. Like if you offered any of those combinations guys to any other teams in Germany, they would snap them up and play them 45 minutes a game, even in standard 40 minute games. Yes. Um, 45 minutes a game, like Wilt Chamberlain averaged for an NBA season once. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to Munsterland for, you know, there's teams that certainly wouldn't have pushed a shorthanded Landil like this, but also Landil, you know, excellence gets it done yet again. I feel like that. Yeah, this, this yeah, 
there's like X's and O's, this, that, and the other. And then it's like, ah, being really, really good at basketball, (laughs) (laughs) which is reductive. But yeah, and the last game of the weekend, uh, which isn't finished yet, but will be by the time you're listening to this, it is currently 63 Landil Hamburg 45 with four and a half minutes to go. So interesting to see what's actually happened by the time you guys have gone through that. But yeah, should we talk about the belt and then get out of here? Well, I don't know how much talking about it there is to do unless because of the fact you were on the receiving end of 38 points, you would try and assign the belt to somebody else. But um, No, no, I, th- I think it's Fifi. Just for interest's sake, um, this morning I put on the, well, no, Anna actually put on the social media as being like, who's getting the belt? And there was a, a Bill Latham shout. There was a couple of Simon Brown shouts, but there was a handful of Philipskis, and I think, we we give it for this, that, and the other, but also like scoring thirty eight on very efficient scoring. I <laughs> yeah. think probably deserves the belt. We we love the idea that we can assign it for ridiculous niche reasons or things we enjoy. But like at some point, there's some important items at like the top of the tick list where if you've got one or more of those ticked, it's like yeah, okay, that someone's gonna have an incredibly niche argument to try and surpass that, but it's probably not gonna fly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if 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 there comes a week where like no one scored more than like twenty two, and we want to give it out because someone's got a new haircut, we can do that. But like, <laughs> if someone had thirty eight, and we give it to someone else for something stupid, it would kind of feel like we were doing it because we didn't like them. And especially um, if I don't give it to the person who scored thirty eight on my team, I'd be like, ah, great. Does it look like I'm being sore about this? The only thing with Filipski that I will say is we're going to have to stop giving it to him if he doesn't get an Instagram account at some point in the near future because this is like the third He has time. one. We've tried to follow it and he just hasn't accepted. <laughs> That's out there. Okay, he's struck off of the belt for life in that case. Doesn't he know that the belt is just a reason for us to tag people and then share it so that we get views? Exactly. Right, shout out to Filipski. And yeah, do you want to let people know what your plans are for this? guest episode coming up without me while i'd still reconfigure my life sure um so next guest episode we are interviewing ayaka and when i say we i mean me and a mystery co-host arbitrator um, yes arbitrator a middleman no me and ayaka. it's not like me and ayaka were gonna fight there the way you said that that's not Mediation. true a referee no um we're not so yeah looking forward to interviewing ayaka and yeah hopefully you guys enjoy it but that'll be out on thursday and let us know if having me back is great or not let mark know don't 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 you dare put it somewhere that i can see it all (laughs) right mark welcome back richie get well soon and everyone else thanks for listening peace out take it easy bye bye